Well, good morning again. I want to thank uh, our guest preachers. Last couple of weeks, we had one of our elders preach and my assistant pastor preach last week, and they did a great job. So I'm very thankful for that and uh, thankful to get to do this again with you. We're in a series uh, through Proverbs, kind of looking at biblical wisdom this summer. And so today we'll be in Proverbs 3. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Proverbs 3. If you don't have a Bible, we, we've got some under the chairs. You can grab one of those and turn to page 528 in the black Bibles that are under the chairs there and follow along with us in Proverbs 3. Uh, There's a proverb that appears twice in the middle of the book that says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And it's twice in Proverbs, so I'll say it twice. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. We joked a few weeks ago, uh, it's not just men like women don't have this problem, but this is a universal use of the word man, right? This is a humanity use there. Humanity has this problem where we think we can be our own God and do our own thing, but in the end, that leads to death. We need God's help. So this morning, we're calling it Ask for Directions. We have a hard time asking for directions. And I'm not just talking about in the car, but we have a hard time letting God lead us. One of the most glorious and beautiful strengths of our country is also our weakness as a culture. We can be proud and thankful for our independence, for our commitment to freedom and individual responsibility and liberty. But the dark side of that is that we're often a rebellious people. We, we don't take the leadership from our parents that God has given us, and we don't always listen to God either. And so we need to be careful of these things. We need to be culturally aware that the culture we grow up in affects the lens and the worldview that we have. And God says that if we're going to be wise, we need to pay attention to our parents, first of all, but also pay attention to what he has to say. And in the book of Proverbs, it actually weaves those two things together back and forth, which frankly, I'm, I mean, I'm pushing 40 and that's still hard for me to hear. You know, I, I still have a little bit of that teenage rebellion left in me and, and I'm trying to learn to be someone who is submissive, someone who honors those who have gone before me, someone who listens to the wisdom of the ages and especially listens to the wisdom that God has given us in his word. And so as we try to grow up, which is what we've called our series this summer, Growing up is is not uh, this stuffy thing. It's not about being old, but it's about having a weight to us, having a wisdom and an honor to us where we have something to give to other people. And that starts with with listening. It starts with asking for direction, asking God to guide us. I really uh, grabbed hold of the word direction this morning because in Proverbs, it talks a lot about listening to God's law and that Hebrew word Torah is literally, literally direction. Literally, that's what it means in the Hebrew when he talks about his law, his Torah, is that he would direct us. He would show us what to do, and God actually gives that to us. So we're going to see that here in the text. I'm just going to read the first few verses to kind of give us a feel for it. I've got a long section today, so I'm going to try to talk as fast as I can, and we're going to try to march through 35 verses eventually by the end of the sermon. But we'll just start off with the first few. Proverbs 3, 1 says, "'My son, do not forget my teaching.'" But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths. He will make straight your paths. I just messed it up again. That's how I memorized it in a different version. He will make straight your path. He'll straighten out your path. He'll show you where to go. God will direct you if you trust him. I'm going to pray for us and ask that we would understand this, but I just want to give you a quick understanding that 
the gospel changes how we see direction. See, when we come to God's law as regular people, we rebel against it. The story of the Bible and our story is that when God tells us what to do, we say, no thanks. I know what I'm doing. I can do life on my own. What the gospel does when it enters into a human heart is it tells us, yes, I'm a sinner and I've messed up and I've tried to do my own thing and it's failed. And God, I need you to forgive me. And when we actually see that God is forgiving and that he put our sin on Jesus and he gives us Jesus' righteousness, when we are changed from the inside out by seeing that we're forgiven people, then that gives us a new ability to then listen to God's law. Now we're no longer listening to God's law as this weight and this burden, but we're now listening to it as if, well, maybe God actually likes me. Maybe he actually loves me and he wants to help me. And so it's gonna affect how we hear it. My prayer is that you could hear this this morning through that lens, that God is gracious, he is forgiving, he is good, and he wants to guide you and direct you. Let me pray for us. God, please direct us this morning. We ask for you to open our eyes and our hearts to hear what you have to say. God, we pray that you would humble us and that you would lead us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I used to watch a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons. If you're wondering how I became such a learned man, it was lots of hours in front of the television set um, as a kid. I'm just kidding. Kids don't watch TV. Um, There's not very many kids in here, so I didn't ruin too many people. But I used to watch a lot of Bugs Bunny. Uh, Any of you remember what would happen to Bugs Bunny when he would burrow somewhere under the ground and he'd end up in the wrong place? You remember what he would say? He he would say, I should have made that left turn in Albuquerque, right? It It always went back to Albuquerque. Somehow, he always made a wrong turn in Albuquerque. He was always thinking, I should have made that left turn in Albuquerque. And when my family and I uh, were in seminary, we used to make a lot of cross-country trips. I went to seminary in the Midwest in St. Louis. And so it was easier access to our family that was in the East Coast. We've got some family in D.C. and in New York City. So we'd make these big treks out there, and we had other friends in Cincinnati and Indianapolis. You know? So we'd just make these big cross-country treks. And I always wished that we could drive through Albuquerque, but it was on the wrong side of the country. <laughs> Because we got lost all the time, and I knew enough from watching Bugs Bunny that if I just would make the left turn in Albuquerque, I was guaranteed to arrive at the proper destination. But unfortunately, we were out there in the Midwest, East Coast, and we we didn't get to go through Albuquerque very often. I've only been there once, and by the way, there's sand on the side of the road in Albuquerque. It was the weirdest thing, like for for real desert. But anyway, that's another story. I I did go there once. But when we would go on these vacations or these trips to see family, we would wander and we would get lost. And I don't know if your family is like this, but for some reason, my wife would want me to stop and ask for directions. Do you ever, women, do you ever do this to your husbands? Do you ever abuse them in this way? My wife would want me to ask for directions. And she just didn't understand the horror and the humiliation that that entailed. And I remember one time going through Indianapolis and there was, you know, some bypass that we got on or didn't get in, get on or something. We were lost. And finally, I was just like, okay, honey, you know, I was trying to be a good husband. All right, baby, I'll, I'll do what you want. We'll stop and ask for directions. So I stopped and asked at the gas station. First person, I'm not from here. Second person, I'm not from here. Third person, the clerk at the desk there. Well, you know, I just moved here six months ago, so I don't really know either. And so I felt totally justified, right? <laughs> I was like, see, that's why I don't ask for directions. Now, I think really when you look at the scriptures, the scripture actually affirms both sides of that little conflict that most families have. Because the scripture actually says you should ask for direction, but you should ask the right person, right? So men are often, or at least me, I'm often concerned about, I just don't want to get bad directions. So why would I ask somebody else that doesn't know? I already don't know. I'm already lost. Why would I want to get more lost? You know, I trust myself more than some random person Uh, checking me out at at the gas station. 
My wife just wants someone to direct us, but often would be willing to ask the wrong person. I think scripture says, you gotta humble yourself. You gotta ask for directions. You, you need to ask for help, right? You need to recognize that you're lost. But you also gotta ask the right person. And scripturally, that's God. And scripturally, that's his word. He gives us direction in his word. And so Proverbs is all about putting ourselves under the direction of God, saying, God, will you teach me? I recognize that I'm not wise in my own eyes, so I'm gonna trust in you and ask you to direct me. One of the first things that Proverbs says, which is, this is gonna sound a little weird, so I'm gonna have to explain this, right? Is that God's direction brings prosperity. And this is a very misunderstood thing in our culture because we're basically the richest country in the world. We have this weird, twisted kind of teaching that goes in a lot of churches called the prosperity gospel. And what the prosperity gospel is is saying that if, if you have enough faith, you'll always be rich. If you have enough faith, you'll always be healthy and everything will turn out right all the time. That's not actually the gospel that's found in the Bible. And so we have to distinguish this kind of Proverbs guidance, this law guidance that says, if you do what's right, things will go well with you. There really is the promise of prosperity. There really is the promise of good things, but that's different than this extreme over here that says, well, just give enough money to the church and, and you'll be rich and then you'll have a, a new car and then you'll have a new house, you know, and this kind of extreme that makes that ultimate. It makes prosperity in the here and now everything and it says faith delivers everything now. What, what we have to be careful of is running to the other extreme. My generation, the younger generation, there's a, a lot of emphasis on helping the poor, which is good and biblical, but sometimes we can, we can swing to the other side to the poverty gospel, right? And so we, we kind of bounce between these two extremes, the prosperity gospel where uh, God just wants me to be rich, and if I trust him, I'll be rich. That's the prosperity gospel. And then the poverty gospel is God just wants everybody to suffer because God loves poor people more, so we should be poor too. We should just give away, give away everything we have, not save anything, and just give it all away, right? And that's the poverty gospel. And, and I think when we look at Philippians 2, we get a better picture of the balance. In Philippians 2, we have Jesus having everything, giving it up, and then again, he has everything in the end. And as Christians, we should see in perspective here that we will find blessing. That's the normal way that the world works. Like if you work hard, keep your nose clean, take care of your business, things are going to go well with you. And we should understand that. That is biblical wisdom. But it's not an absolute guarantee. It doesn't mean you'll never get sick again. It doesn't mean bad things will never happen. And so it works kind of well in our culture in the same way that it worked kind of well in Israeli culture at this time because this was the golden age of Israel during the reigns of David and Solomon. That's when everything was going great. They were rich, they were powerful. There was the rule of law, right? So there wasn't some dictator coming in and taking everything they had, right? We have brothers and sisters that are hurting and being killed and having everything they have stolen from them in, in Africa or in Bosnia or in some other countries because you know the law isn't honored there. And so it's not an absolute guarantee. If you follow God, you'll just be rich and happy all the time. No, no, that's not an absolute guarantee. But if you follow God's wisdom, it's a general rule. It's generally the way the world works that things will go well with you. You generally will be healthier and happier. And that's not so you can hoard it and just be rich. It's so you can give it away and help other people. So let's, let's go through the text here. That was kind of my setup to kind of try to put it in perspective for you. But let's read what it actually says. It says... In verse two, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. He's saying, listen to my commandments, listen to my guidance, listen to my direction to you. It will actually give you a longer life. It will actually give you peace. 
And man, if you've read any of the health studies, again and again we see that, that if you uh, are anxious, it's going to shorten your life. But if you are peaceful, if you're happy, if you're content, if you know that God has got everything going on in your life and that you're safe in his hands, that's going to take away that anxiety, that's going to give you peace, that's going to enable you to sleep. He, he talks about that as well in here. Look at verse 3, it says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 3, again, uh, just roots this. The, the Proverbs of the Bible are different than the Proverbs of the rest of the world. The Proverbs of the rest of the world just talk about how the world works, right? So that's a part of what we have here. Generally, if you do things right, things will go well with you. But the Proverbs of the Bible says that there's this whole other component that is incredibly important, and that's God's goodness and God's grace. Look again at verse 3. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. This word steadfast love in the Hebrew is chesed, which is a great word that if you're on the front row, you could feel it as I say it. It's chesed, and it, it basically is kind of like the New Testament word grace or uh, Agape love or charis for grace. It's kind of like those kinds of words. It's this unconditional love and grace and favor that God gives to us. It's a concept of giving something to somebody that they, they don't deserve because they're needy. It's often translated in different translations as steadfast love as it is here or, or mercy, right? Just God's goodness, his, his abundant favor to us. And so it's saying bind yourself to that. Know that God is gracious that God is good, that he loves you, and that will give you this security that will, will enable you to stop and listen to what he has to say to you, to pay attention to the wisdom that he has for you, and to not make the prosperity everything, but to make your relationship with him most important. It's this great book title I love by John Piper. It's God is the Gospel. And the concept that he's trying to get across in that book is that knowing him is the ultimate good news, that that is the real prosperity right? So yes, we want prosperity here and now, but the Bible promises that if, if you know Jesus, if you put your trust in him, that you will conquer death and that you will have a restored relationship with God. You will have an intimacy with him. And that's much better than any kind of earthly, temporary, now prosperity we could possibly have. So that, again, puts it in perspective. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Again, there's actually some promises, some proverbs here of this is the ordinary way life works. It's not absolute. doesn't mean you'll never get sick again. It doesn't mean nothing will ever go wrong. It doesn't mean evil people won't do evil things. And again, when you look at the whole scope of biblical wisdom, Proverbs is more focused on instructing children on the basic ways that the world works. If you do things right, things will go well for you. Ecclesiastes shows how empty that can be to gather, to do things right, to gather great wealth, to gather great wisdom and not know God and how empty and fleeting that can be. Job communicates how you can do things right and things will go well with you, but evil can still happen, and that God's ways are higher than our ways, and we don't always understand why. And so the full scope of the Bible explains that, yeah, there's other things going on, but if, in general, if you pay attention, if you listen to God, things will go well. He will use you for his glory. Verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. 
and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. This verse is often used as a, uh, again, an emphasis on giving at churches that would, would kind of stay on what we call the prosperity gospel, where they say it's all about every week, every Sunday message is about give more, give more, give more. If you give more, then you'll be rich, and then you'll be prosperous, and everything will go well for you. And this, again, this, this kind of seems to say that, right? And, and it, again, that's, this is generally the way things work. If you are a generous person, if you're a giving person, God says you will have a generous life. He, he will bless you, and that's gener- generally the way things work. But I want you to understand that we often jump quickly to our culture and our context, especially preachers, like, you know, the preacher's all about give money to me and my church here now, but read what it says again in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The idea is give him the best of what you have. And I think it's really important that we start there before we go to money and how much money and how many dollar signs are given to any particular thing, but, but start with the concept of what do you have? Who are you? In the New Testament, this is talked about as gifts. What are your gifts? Body, the body or the church is talked about as a body with different parts, right? One of us may be a hand, one of us may be a mouth, one of us may be a kneecap, right? We, we all have different gifts. Some of you are teachers, and God says, give your teaching for God's glory. Honor God with that wealth, that abundance you have. Some of you may be good at organizing things. I don't really know what that looks like, but if, if that's good for you, you, you use that, right? You use that for God's glory. You, you give that over to God. Use that to extend his glory, his fame, his name. Show people how good he is. Some of you are merciful. You just love people well, and he calls on you to, to take that and use that for him and for his sake and for his glory. So that's really, that's the, the bigger picture of what he's talking about when he's talking about honoring God with what you have. What is your abundance? What is your wealth? Your wealth, your abundance is more than just dollars. God's gifted you. He's made you good at things that, that I'm not good at. He's, he's, skilled, uh, he's given us skills and gifts and talents in different ways. The other thing I want us to think about is in the Old Testament perspective, in the law when it talks about the, uh, the first fruits of all your produce and the giving that would go on, the sacrifices that are made, often those sacrifices, you know, in the Old Testament they would uh, offer grain sacrifices or offer uh, animal sacrifices. And sometimes those were just burnt up, you know? They were just like burned on the altar to God. Sometimes those, those things would be given to feed the priests. And often those things would be just a giant feast for everyone. And we lose that perspective, or at least I do. I often used to read, read the Old Testament. And when I started kind of reading through it more on my own, I started realizing, wow, they're actually having a party. I mean, they're, they're just having a big feast. They're having a cel- big barbecue, Right. So they're taking their stuff, they're not just you know, burning it in a fire, but they're cooking it and eating it. And this is a celebration, so it's not always just to throw it all away or just give it to God or just burn it here in this holy place, but it's eat it, enjoy it for God's glory. And that is a part of what they would do as well with the gifts, with the wealth, with the abundance that God gives them. He, he would say, use that for my glory. Enjoy me with your gifts and with, with the good things he's given me. Now, with all of that, um, I want us to think about what is, what is the perspective that we usually have when we think about um, physical prosperity? Think about in our culture, what are the, what are the promises of prosperity? Uh, just when you watch TV, you see a lot of commercials like this. Um, here's a little picture. This is kind of what prosperity looks like often, these allergy pill commercials. Have you ever seen those before? <laughs> You'll see them in the magazines as well. 
And it's like if, if you have allergies, that's bad. And this is sorry for those of you that are new. This is a really bad place to live. Um, if you have allergies, you're kind of miserable. You feel sick and snarfy and all that, you know. It, but then if you take the right pill, the sky will be bluer. Your, your baby will be happy all the time. Your children won't fight anymore if you take the right allergy pill. The grass will be greener. Birds will sing. Um, everything will just be perfect and wonderful. And then they might have this little kind of fine print, this little warning that'll say, you know, side effects can include dry mouth, headaches, nausea, and death. If these symptoms persist, please see your doctor, right? But other than that, everything's going to be awesome. It's going to change your life. Everything will be perfect. We have all these promises. We have these kinds of promises all across our culture that if you just do this, if you just use the right deodorant or you take the right pill, man, things are just going to be awesome in your life. And God says, you know what, really, if, if you just pay attention and you listen to me, the good life is found in walking with God. Again, it's not, it's not perfection. It doesn't mean you'll never lose money. It doesn't mean you'll, you'll never be attacked. Our, my bank account was hacked the other day. That was really annoying. It doesn't mean bad things don't happen to you, right? The, the book of Job is written to help us to understand that. There's this mystery of, yeah, bad things happen to faithful people. That's the world that we live in. But in general, if you pay attention, God is saying, if you listen to your parents, if you listen to God's law, if you do what's right, things are going to go well for you. Now, how do we apply that specifically here? I think we've got a couple of New Testament commands. Generally, in the Old Testament, when it talks about giving financially, right, so skipping from giving your talents to skipping down to giving actually of money, generally there's this principle that the people of God should give 10%, right? It's usually called the tithe, which is basically linguistically just... Uh, taking the word tenth, you know, and turning it into a verb. So you're tenthing, right? You're tithing some money. And so that's a general principle. And I'd say that's a good general principle to live by. Um, kind of like in the Old Testament, we have these Sabbath rhythms. You know, it's a, kind of a general principle. If you work seven days, guys, that's too many. Probably should work six and take a day off. You know, we should rest. And it's good for our bodies. It helps us have a proper rhythm in life. And we see the same thing uh, financially with giving, there's this concept of the tenth or the tithe that we see in the Old Testament. It's not just in the Old Covenant and the laws of Moses, but even before that, we see Abraham doing that kind of thing when he gives to Melchizedek. So I think that's a good general principle to go with. But in the New Testament, it, it really doesn't, doesn't really talk about numbers. I mean, that's, that's kind of a good thing to shoot for. But in the New Testament, we have a couple of quotes that more often talk about heart condition. If you look at 1 Corinthians 16.2, we have one of these quotes. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So he's saying there should be, again, a general rhythm of being proactive about your giving and thinking ahead, setting it aside and giving so that when someone comes through to take a collection, he's saying, I don't want to compel you, and then you're, you're embarrassed and you just whip out whatever you have. This, this verse is actually why we have a little offering box in the back and we don't pass a plate. And I want to be very careful. I don't think it's wrong to pass a plate. This is not something we do here. Um, we set it over there because we want you to take the initiative. We want you to own that yourself. Like between you and God as a church, we want you to pray. And just like it says here, you would kind of set aside and think about it and go, okay, this is what I'm going to give. God's prospered me in this way, so I'm going to give this much. And we want you to own that whole process. Now, there's another section that goes into a lot more detail about giving in 2 Corinthians, so the next book in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he's giving us this, again, this concept that we should be generous, that we should give generously. We shouldn't give because we think we have to. We shouldn't give because the preacher says, well, if you give, you'll be rich. And you're going, well, I'd really like to be rich. I don't really love God, but I want to be rich, so I'm going to give now. Now he's saying you give because you think God has been generous to you. And so in response to God's generosity to you, you want to give and you want to share with others. And also you want to, I think in the New Testament, there's this real focus on you, you really want other people to meet Jesus. And so as a church, it's not just about giving here so we can just exist, but we want to reach people. We want to share what we're doing here with other people. And so we broadcast that just through public preaching, but also through other means, and we support missionaries, and we try to have ministries that strategically would equip you to reach your neighbors and would help us to reach other people in this community across the world. So that's part of what it's about, is investing in spiritual things. There's this concept of uh, sowing and reaping, and I kind of have to define this because we're city people, right? Sowing doesn't mean like with thread. Sowing, when it's spelled S-O-W here in, in 2 Corinthians 9, means scattering seeds, so the idea is that if you scatter lots of seeds, you're going to get more of a harvest. And what Paul is talking about is scattering spiritual seeds. If you invest in spiritual things, you're going to see a spiritual harvest in your life. Again, this doesn't mean that God doesn't like physical things. It doesn't mean God doesn't like earthly things. He just wants us to have that eternal perspective. We're, we're about promoting God and his work in the world, and so we're giving money to support our friends that do parachurch ministry or, or do spiritual things like Compassion International or supporting the church specifically or missionaries in another country, that we would sow into kingdom work. We would sow into work that makes much of Jesus and not sow all of our money into just our clothes, into just our televisions, into just our cars, but that we would also sow money into spiritual things. Again, it's not wrong to do these other things. I mean, there's this kind of rhythm. There's this balance. Of, again, that kind of the 10% is a good rule where you have this concept that, yeah, you spend most of your money buying food, right, and buying a house and doing things like that, but you also are giving to other things. You're honoring spiritual things with some of your money, and so that's the perspective biblically. Now, some people, you may be in financial difficulty, and you need to not be giving that. You need to ask for help. We have people that can help you. We can, we can do financial counseling with you and help you get on a budget and help you wrangle your finances. Some of you, you need to be giving like 50%, right? So, you know, today would be a good, good time to start. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but some of us really, we, some people have more to give. Again, you have to pray about this. See, God, teach me, show me what to do with my finances. Help me know what to set aside, what to sow, what to invest here in spiritual things. We'll be offering another class on finances. We do kind of some classes occasionally on Christian finances. We'll be offering another one of those in the fall if y'all are interested. Well, the next thing that we see that we really need to wrap our brains around is that God's direction is love. And what I mean by that is that we often feel the weight of uh, direction from God or um, law or this is the way you should do things. We feel it like this thing that's pressing on us, right? We, we are, as I said, we tend to be a rebellious people. We tend to be an independent people. And so we can feel any kind of uh, direction is like someone trying to control us and to hold us down and to not allow us to have fun. I thought Stephen Watson, my assistant pastor, did a great job last week of mentioning when it comes to sexuality and understanding God's best for you, that God actually wants our joy more than we do. 
right? He actually wants what's, what's best for us. And we see this uh, starting in verse 12. So if you flip back to Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who finds, actually I'm going to skip, I'm going to do 11 as well. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the concept here, again, is it's putting it in fatherly perspective. If it's just you and your sin, then you don't really want to hear what God has to say. If you understand that God is a gracious God who has forgiven you and has set you free from your sin, then you will begin to be able to see him as a father. That's what Jesus talks about. You'll begin to see him as this father that loves you and that God disciplines those he loves just like a father disciplines those he loves. I want what's best for my kids. I don't want them to be unhappy. I actually want them to be happy. I just know sometimes better than they do what's going to make them happy, right? We may disagree in the uh, short term about what's good and what's bad, but I discipline those that I love. It says, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Verse 13 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Proverbs does this thing where it says it warns you against the forbidden woman. Again, the kind of the primary target audience of this, think of the target main audience of Proverbs as teenage boys. It has application to all of us, but kind of the main audience is teenage boys. And so there's a lot of talk about watch out for the seductive woman. Watch out for that woman, but hey, see this other woman is very attractive. See this other woman, wisdom as gorgeous. You should see her as beautiful. You should start to see her as, as the attractive one. And that's what they're describing here. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. So that's not a weight pressing on you of, I want to control you, I'm an arbitrary God or an arbitrary parent that just doesn't want you to have fun. No, that is, that is life and, and peace and, and pleasantness. That is what God wants for us. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. In uh, the garden, there was this tree of life that they were separated from because of their sin. And he's saying wisdom is a, a taste of that all over again. Wisdom is not the, it's not the tree of life, but wisdom is a tree of life. It's a window back into that life that God has designed for us. And he makes this even more clear, and he puts it in creation context in verse 19. If you look at verse 19, it says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. There's this creation rhythm, this way that God has made the world, this understanding that God knows what he's doing, that he invented men and women, that he invented sexuality, that he invented work, that he invented weather, that he invented the world. He, he created all of this. It was his idea, so he knows how it's supposed to work, and he wants you to live in harmony uh, with his world. He wants to understand how it's made. It's like He's giving you a warning sign because he loves you. There's a warning sign here, someone falling off a cliff. If you see that sign, you should stop, right? Don't go forward anymore. It's saying if you keep going forward, you're going to fall off a cliff. We were at Enchanted Rock back in the spring. Any of you, you new to the area, haven't been to Enchanted Rock yet? You, you need to check out Enchanted Rock. It's a great state park. It's like two hours from here, kind of southwest. You should go check it out. It's like this little dome of granite. It's a lot of fun to hike around. There's some boulders. So my kids were pretending when we were out there that they were falling off a cliff. Like, oh no, help me. They're really good actors, right? 
But there really is this part on the backside of the cliff where you're just walking around. It's a real smooth kind of slow incline. And then you come to this one part on the backside where it just whoop, goes straight down. You know, my wife starts to get kind of nervous. You know, <laughs> heart starts beating. She's like, no, 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 don't get too close. And she gets all nervous because she loves my kids, right? It's not because she's like, I don't want you to have any fun. If you jumped off the cliff, you'd have fun. But I don't want you to have fun. No, she, she wants them to be alive, right? She wants to keep them alive. She loves our children. She's like, no, don't, don't go off the cliff. And that's, again, that's God's law, his direction, his wisdom. It's because he loves us. And I just want to challenge you this morning just as a, as a place of application. I know in a church this size, every one of us, we're, we're really working on breaking one of the Ten Commandments actively right now. And I would just say, I just dare you to see God's law as gracious. I dare you to see that he actually loves you that his plan for you is good. And that place where you are, you're flirting with disaster, where you're tipping your toe over the edge of the cliff, I just encourage you to, to recognize God loves you and he wants you to back away from the cliff because he's good, because he is gracious. The, the last thing I want us to think about is that God's direction gives us confidence. If you look at verse 21, it says, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. I was thinking about uh, the best illustration I could think of this kind of secure footing. I was thinking of a mountain goat. Have y'all ever been in the mountains and seen a mountain goat? And they can kind of like climb on the side of a cliff where there doesn't seem to be a place to walk and they don't fall off. It's crazy. So I was trying to download a picture of a mountain goat and I found this one that I really liked. He's walking on this little narrow path but I couldn't get it to download. So uh, since I already was looking at enchanted rock pictures, I just went ahead and grabbed a picture of my son standing on a boulder because my son is kind of like that. Like he'll jump up on a boulder or do something where I know that if, if I were to do that, I would pull a muscle and just kind of fall over and just be stuck there for a couple days, right? But, but he has this ability to confidently jump into these high places or climb onto these boulders and he just can, can kind of just spring up there like a mountain goat. And what the scripture is telling us here in Proverbs is that as we learn to listen to him, that gives us that kind of boldness in life. So as we talked earlier, there's this general way that the world works, right? If, if you do things right, things will go well with you. But there's also this brokenness, this fallenness. Talks about it in Romans 8, that creation is groaning. It's all falling apart. We still have friends that are dying. We still have friends that are sick. We still have broken relationships. And so as we learn to listen to God's law and his direction, it gives us a confidence to walk through those scary places. We can walk through places where other people, their feet would not be secure. But we don't have to be afraid because we have this ultimate and eternal security in God, knowing his steadfast love has said his grace to us through Christ. It says, my son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Verse 24 says, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I know so many in the military struggle with this because their body chemistry has adapted to never being secure. And what the scripture is saying is that you can know this kind of spiritual life, this kind of restoration to God where you can begin to actually be secure. In this supernatural way, you can live life with security. You don't have to be afraid. You can sleep. You can rest knowing that God is holding the universe together. It says in verse 25, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. 
Your confidence is not in your own abilities. Your confidence is not in being a better person than your neighbor. Our confidence is not, I'm better than this guy, or I have more talents than that guy, or I'm more successful, or I make more money. My confidence is in the Lord, is in the Yahweh of the Bible who is kind, who is gracious to us, who forgives our sin and adopts us as his child and makes us his very own. He says, don't have to be afraid. Verse 27 gives us the application of this, and I'll just close here. What does this look like? How do we live this out? We live this out by by being missional people, by being willing to to go out with confidence into the world, wherever it may be, the the good times and the bad times, right? In the weddings, I I quote, you know, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, that we should have that attitude. We're we're just willing to go into anything. We're willing to go through anything because we have a confidence in the Lord. He says in verse 27, don't withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I'll give it when you actually have it with you. He's saying, be generous. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Don't contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Don't envy a man of violence and don't choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he's scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The pastor's conference we went to a couple of weeks ago, my wife was listening to one of the pastor's wives speak, and she said it was really just kind of a throwaway comment and a side comment that this lady made that really impacted her, though. She was talking about how you can enter into a room with two different attitudes, and it was really about this idea of being confident in the Lord. So you can enter into a room with the, here I am, look at me kind of attitude, when it's all about you. Or she said you can enter into a room with a there you are attitude. That God sent you there. That God has work for you to do. That you're there to bless other people. You're there for others. And I believe that's what begins to happen. God begins to transform us as we understand his loving kindness, his goodness to us. Then we begin to want to listen to what he has to say. Okay, maybe, maybe God actually loves me. Maybe I should listen to his direction. As we listen to his direction, then he straightens out our paths and he shows us where to go and he begins to send us into new places and he begins to build this new community of people who are living by faith in him and we now have this generous impact on the world around us. That's the vision, that's the hope and the prayer. That's what I've seen God already do through people here at this church and in other places and I think that's what God's gonna continue to do as we begin to trust him more and more. And know he's good. And we ask him then for direction in our life. Let me pray for us.